0: Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America NA, member FDIC. It's
1: my pleasure to welcome you to The Clark Howard Show, where our mission is to serve you and empower you so you make better financial decisions in your life. In this episode, I have a story to share with you that I recently experienced with my teenage son that is really demonstrative of where our heads are right now with inflation. And speaking of teenagers, if you've got a loved one who is going to education after high school, whatever that is, I want to talk about that process and what minefields you got to look out for is you're guiding your young son or daughter into the education system outside of high school. Well, my son, who has always been the inheritor of the name brand man label, has suddenly discovered a new level of thrift that I didn't know would happen. He's 16, and the other day he said, Dad, I really want to go to Ollie's Bargain Outlet. Now, those are three words I never expected to hear out of Grant's mouth. I want to go, well, the three words, Ollie's Bargain Outlet. So we get in the car, and we drive over to Ollie's, and he's studying the place. I don't know if he saw something online or whatever, but he's studying Ollie's, and we're going through there, and he said, Dad, why, is, why do you think this cereal's here? And it was funny, because his brain was working like mine would have worked, the why behind something. And so we found a big display of uh, Frosted Flakes, Kellogg's Frosted Flakes. And I said, well, this one, if I were to guess, these ended up here because they were damaged in shipping. Look, all the boxes are damaged. And so that made sense. Then we go look, and there's this cereal that he's like, this other cereal is like, who would ever eat that cereal? I said, well, that's why it's here. Because some food manufacturer thought there would be real demand for this particular cereal. And there obviously was not. And now here it is at Ollie's. And we went through and we went through each department. I mean, it was like we were in a school field trip and talked through how these bargains ended up in Ollie's in each category. But he was especially interested. They have a small clothing section. They had men's dress shirts that were 5 to $7, and they were the kind of shirts that if you went to the stores that he's more likely to frequent for a dress shirt, it would be like 40 or $50. I've not been able to teach him the value of a single-digit shirt. And he's looking at this shirt, and he's like, Dad, this shirt looks fine. I said, yeah, but for whatever reason, it ended up here. It manufacturers overstock, retailers overstock, irregular something why I was there. And it's funny how psychology will change. There's uh, new data that shows that what you and I are motivated to buy right now in this era where we're worried about the economy moving forward, we're being buffeted by inflation, that when people go in the supermarket, they're buying a lot more private label than before. Um, They're buying, they're doing what they call what the food manufacturers call the trade down crowd that people are trading down to buy maybe a cheaper version of tide or a cheaper version of whatever the brand name is or they're buying the store brand now in my world the trade down buyer is actually the smarter buyer because you're getting more value for each dollar and it is a time, anytime we feel that pressure, we do become more careful about how we shop. What would be the problem with buying, if if you eat Frosted Flakes in your house, what's the problem with buying the box at Ollie's for less than half the cost of buying in your supermarket? Does it really matter that the box is dented? Now, if it was a canned item and it's got dents, that can be a different story, but when it's a box of cereal, come on. And so I want you to think about how we, during a time that money was kind of floating around, how we were spending money and now the things you can do that actually will reduce the impact of your shopping on your wallet. And there are so many things you can do with things you buy, food you buy, any kind of stuff you buy that You can find better ways to stretch every dollar, and this is one of those times. I also want to say something. I've been thinking about this. I've been noodling this for a couple of weeks, and it's the data that shows the amount that people have used credit cards of late uh, with balances unpaid has been going up, and this is after... A trend had been your friend where credit card balances overall, regardless of how people are using them, that credit card balances have been going down and now they're climbing again. And I was thinking about all, how do all these things tie together? My son, who suddenly is like interested in a clearance store, and what's going on with the credit cards? Obviously, people are being stretched past their limit. That they are charging on cards what they don't have the cash for. And it requires us to go back to basics with how we handle money. And I know this is going to sound weird in an era because just had a gentleman stop me in the hall here who said, you know, it's not going to be long before there is no such thing as cash. And that could happen, but it's going to be a while in the United States, even though it's already happened. I guess it's in Sweden, maybe. But For now, there's one thing that I find really, really focuses how you spend when we get in a time that money becomes more scarce to deal with our monthly bills, and that is going back to paying with cash. If you get an amount of cash out when you get paid, and you use that cash to get you the next pay period for everything you do walking around, and you resist the temptation to pull out the plastic, it does change behavior it really does make you think more about everything you buy everything you spend so if you're wheezing financially and you are someone feeling the credit card balance creep going on in your life at least for now going back to a cash basis can help and in fact you'll be surprised what a difference it can make Krista We've got some
0: questions here, Clark. Richard in New Mexico says, I've heard that I should keep only a minimum amount of money in a checking account because those accounts are more easily hacked than savings accounts or accounts in investment companies such as Vanguard. Is that true or false?
1: So actually, yes, checking accounts do get hacked from time to time. But the funny thing is, checking accounts are one of the safest to leave there because the federal rules are so clear that the bank or credit union has to restore your funds if there is a hack or fraud or whatever involving your checking account. It is clear as day. And so even though a hack against a checking account would be a serious event in your life, it is the lowest level worry. So ironically, brokerage accounts, you mentioned Vanguard, Mm -hmm. didn't you? There is no federal law anywhere near like as clear as there is for bank and credit union checking and savings accounts. So your greater risk and where criminals are more interested in going is after your brokerage accounts. Banks have not become irrelevant in their lives, but they're much less important than they used to be. And they account now for somewhere around, I think it's 9% of people's overall money. So the real game, I mean, why did Jesse James rob banks? Because that's where the money was, right? So the money now is not in the banks. It's in the brokerages, mutual fund companies, and stuff like that. So that's where I'm more concerned than I am with the banks.
0: And this is from Tony in Florida. My wife and I have always been adverse to leasing a car. We are looking at a Tesla. As my wife now works from home and drives very little, coupled with the state of purchasing a new car, does it make sense to lease an electric car versus purchasing? I have friends that have leased Teslas in anticipation of new batteries coming out by the end of the lease term. We're just not sure if leasing an electric car makes any sense at all.
1: Yeah, Tony, this one is a tough one. So there are certain electric vehicles that leasing... In hindsight, absolutely made more sense. Nissan LEAF is prime case number one because the LEAF, uh, the battery packs in it, have been so obsolete over the years. In fact, of electric vehicles that you could buy right now, the Nissan LEAF is considered to be the best deal in America because it's kind of unloved. The range is uh, 100 and something miles total on a charge for the newer ones. And they cost less than the average gas engine car. So they're a great option for a commuter vehicle. Right now, because of the cost of money, leasing a vehicle is not really something that works out that well. And you take Tesla, Teslas have generally held value very, very well. So even though they've made continuous improvements in the range and the type of batteries and the Tesla vehicles have not proven to be a good lease option, have typically been a better purchase option. However, if the vehicle you have right now can go another year, I really think 23 is a much better year to buy an electric vehicle than 22 because so many of the world's automakers are introducing new electric vehicles next year. And we're going to be past a lot of the supply chain issues. Next year, really, for your wallet, is a much better year and idea to buy electric.
0: And this is from Jeff in Arizona. I still use the 2003 version of Microsoft Money to track my finances. Okay,
1: I love this. Almost (laughs) 20-year-old version of Microsoft Money. I mean, This is somebody who gets value out of things. Absolutely.
0: I would switch over to something like Mint, but I don't like the idea of sharing all my financial details with companies that I think will sell them to the highest bidder. I'm not worried about being hacked. I just prefer to keep private things private. Can I trust Mint or similar services to keep my details private?
1: Okay. So this has come up so frequently that you'll have an organization you give your financial data of some kind to or personal data uh, to and they'll change ownership or the enterprise will go bust or whatever and suddenly the terms of service change or in the case of an organization goes bankrupt, the bankruptcy court judge's job is only to get as much value from the defunct enterprise as they can. And somebody comes along and says, hey, we'll pay for all that very, very sensitive private data, this much money. And the bankruptcy court judge says, sounds great to me. (laughs) So yeah, there is a risk with any app that you use that has sensitive personal or financial information. Uh, Mint has so far stood the test of time. It has strong financial backing and it would be uh, corporate suicide for them to violate that trust if people's information was in fact being sold to the highest bidder. So I'd say the safest choice in an area where there's some underlying risk always would be meant. So was that a wimpy answer?
0: No I mean the, I was thinking like in the end because I actually do use mint, but in the end just like with anything in life, like can you hundred percent trust that nothing will ever happen? Probably not, you know but you so it's the the weighing of the options right and the
1: risks. And so if I started Clark's financial management app today, <laughs> Would that be a safe choice for people? I would say no, because you'd be a pioneer doing that because I have no track right. history. We've thought about record. doing something, but we
0: don't want to take don't Yeah, so I don't, have the,
1: I don't have the years. Mm-hmm. So people who got involved with Met early were the pioneers. Right. And some other app comes along that's a competitor. You're the pioneer. And it takes time before... You go from being the pioneer stage to being a settler, and ment is obviously very settled in the marketplace. So I have talked recently about problems going on in certain career fields with people signing contracts for training and then getting ripped off to the max. This is now a spreading issue. I want to talk more about it. If you didn't hear me before, this is a really important thing for you to know If you're an adult looking to get more education or you have a child in the household who's finishing or has finished high school and is looking at alternative education or new education past high school, what you got to look out for. we've had so many conversations over the last two years is people's expectations of life have changed so much and people have decided that the, the old way of doing things is not necessarily the case. Think about the workplace. Think about so many things where the dislocations of the pandemic have changed for the good and the bad, the way life's been working. Well, education has taken it on the chin past high school. So many colleges now, state schools, private schools, seeing dropping enrollments, dropping interest, uh, people who might be entering as new students saying not doing that either because they've gone to work because the pay scales have changed so much in entry-level jobs or they have decided they're going a different path, apprenticeship, a training program, trade school, uh, you name it. This has opened up the fastest growing area of abuse in education. And it is dangerous, dangerous, dangerous. And I got to lay this out for you. And it so much follows variations of what I talked about with the -the over-the-road truck drivers earlier this year, where people are signing up for free truck driver training programs and not realizing what they've signed their name to is not free at all and that they can end up owing many tens of thousands of dollars for what can be just several weeks of training that may be completely substandard training. This idea, as rotten as it is, is spreading throughout the trade and technical school area where people are told enroll for free no student loans and people are like what a great country I'm going to get this education for nothing and I don't have to worry about all those student loans everybody's talking about but what's happening is you're signing a contract that requires very specific things from you It may require that you work for a specific employer when you're done for a set number of years in order to have the cost of the education forgiven. You're not entering a loan. You're signing a promissory note. Promissory note is something where you are basically in a loan of a different name. It can be forgiven, if that's what it says, but you are agreeing to pay sixty, a hundred, two hundred thousand dollars, whatever it is, and only if you jump through every right hoop is the promissory note in part, most of it or all of it forgiven. You've got to do I mean I don't know who can live as perfect a life that the entire promissory note's forgiven. So I just need to get this in your head clear as could possibly be that when you're looking at an alternative to college, as an adult going back to get training, or as someone coming out of high school, and you're looking for training versus going to a traditional college or a state-supported technical school, and they tell you it's free, be so very, very, very cautious and careful. For a lot of career fields right now, the thing I like a whole lot more is apprenticeship programs. Apprenticeship programs work like this. You start off as a trainee working in a job, and you make a low wage but a decent, relatively decent wage as you train and then typically over a multi-year training program that usually will be, in most fields, a minimum of three years, you develop the skills that you become a licensed tradesman or whatever the equivalent category is called. You have some classroom work, obviously, some, some learning to do, but most everything you do is on the job. So you are earning while you're learning, and then that earning and learning path leads you to a career with good pay. That's what I want you to be looking for when you're looking for an alternative path to college. It's very common in parts of Europe. In Germany, it's the way it's been done for generations. And that's why Germany has one of the best matches of workplace needs and workers looking for well-paying jobs is because Germany has always played this match game through the apprenticeship programs. It'd be a great thing for us to really think further about and develop more in the United States. Krista?
0: This is from Michael in Oklahoma. I'm 39, and my wife and I currently have a half a million dollars saved in retirement. We also have our home paid for. Wow. With, I know. With these milestones reached, I've been exploring changes in my life to allow for more altruistic approaches on how I spend the rest of my working life. I've considered many paths and potentially may want to explore all of them. That said, many of these job changes would pay significantly less than what I currently make. My question is, have I made it? If I leave the 500k alone and allow it to grow without additional investment, I'm coming up with $3 million at retirement at 7% growth. Can I bag work and go find my passion? Is this a bad idea? Is my math off? Just how crazy am I? Clark, you're a good man and I need your advice.
1: Okay, so I love everything about this, Michael, because this is what financial independence is about exactly is you don't have to say, I owe, I owe, I owe. off to work, I go. You have developed such great habits with your money that you're free at this point to explore doing things that are more the line you'd like to do. And so you're right, you leave that nest egg alone by historical averages and 7 is probably realistic with how overvalued the stock market was till recently. You will see that money continually double in value by the time you retire retire. You'll have a very hefty nest egg to live on, and so you're good to go. If you get out there and you find your finances are not as strong, the experiences you will have had doing the alternative things you've wanted to do will be a booster shot for you, likely going back to things that might be more lucrative for you if that became necessary. So please, 39, own your home free and clear already have a half million saved, go do it. Amazing.
0: This is from Rosemary in Kentucky. When traveling to the Baltics, what is the best way to navigate currency exchange? Buy euros here or there? Use ATMs? Prepaid Visa cards?
1: Okay, so uh, Rosemary, you do not in any circumstances ever, unless you want to blow money away, exchange U.S. dollars for a foreign currency in the United States. We have the least favorable exchange rates in the world in the United States. And it's because of a banking cartel problem in the U.S. So you want to exchange your dollars for euros once you're in Europe. But the best way to do so, you already mentioned, ATMs. So you want to check before you go and make sure that the financial institution you're using does not rip you off for using an ATM other than their own financial institution. I use an ATM card from Charles Schwab that is unlimited free withdrawals around the world at no fee. And there are many issuers with different policies, maybe not as generous as Schwab's, but where you can do several ATM withdrawals in a month and pay no fee. And that way you get what's called banker's buying rate, which is vastly superior to what you would get with any money exchange in the United States. Thing to I would say, suggest-
0: make sure you let your bank know where you're going? Oh,
1: yeah, because, uh, well, even when I do, Schwab will-, t- will I know, but a lot. we've me. seen a lot of
0: staff members on our staff trips because they forgot to tell their banks. Yeah, but, so yeah.
1: with credit cards, with your ATM card, you need to go on and there'll be a travel advisory notice that they have on their app. Or on their website. You do that before you go. Now, you mentioned prepaid visa cards. If you have traditional credit cards, that's the best for you to use, not just in Europe, but in much of the world. So you want to use a credit card that has no foreign currency transaction fees. And there are so many of them now. And that means that you get the official banker's buying rate again. So you buy something in euro, And when it bills you back in dollars, there's no junk fee you're having to pay. Now, I want to tell you a trick that has spread across Europe. When you go to use a credit card or a debit card in Europe at a restaurant, a store, whatever, many times the terminal will recognize that it's a U.S.-based card and will immediately pop up converting your transaction into dollars. Now, let me tell you, they're not doing you a favor. They're then in turn charging you a huge foreign currency transaction fee on your purchase. So you will have an option to override that and always look at the terminal. And it'll usually be on most terminals, it'll be like option two or something where it clears in local currency, clears in euro or British pounds or Swiss francs or whatever. You always want to clear in local currency currency To avoid the foreign currency junk fee. Know that the banks work overtime all over the world to figure out how to hurt people. That's their job, is to figure out how to hurt your wallet. It's your job to know how they try to do it and to defeat their underhanded, dishonest, dirty practices. Clark Stinks is at Clark Clark.com slash Clark <laughs> Stinks. If you were a banker who takes offense at me saying you wake up every day trying to figure out how to hurt people. Now, I would not say that a community banker uh, somewhere in America who is really in his or her heart and soul trying to help their customers is doing that. But I'd say the big money center banks, they really have MBA disease where everything's about squeezing the last dollar, no matter how unethically they do it, out of people.
0: Okay. This is from Dave in Florida. Is there any benefit to enter your credit card PIN while at a gas pump? Why enter it if you don't have to? The skimmer might end up with your PIN number.
1: That is a very good point. Uh, the skimmers are not as much a problem as they were before, Dave. Because even though the gas stations have not had to convert yet, I've noticed that most of the time, the gas stations I go to, I go to the high volume stations, they've already put in the taps or the chip readers. So the skimmers are no longer an issue in those cases. It's the older gas pumps where it slides like a traditional thing where the real problem has been with skimmers. But There's a bigger problem going on right now. When you use a debit card at pay at the pump, you may find that somewhere around $175 to $200 of your available balance in your checking account will be unavailable for as much as four days. It could cause items that you're trying to pay to bounce. And it's how the system works. If you go inside at the gas station you say, I want 20 bucks on pump six, then they're not going to do that. But if you just get an authorization at pay at the pump, they don't know how much you're going to pump in gasoline. And that's what leads to them temporarily uh, basically making unavailable for use in your life, $175 to $200, which could cause people to have things bounce. So sorry to give you one other thing. to worry about involving money and gasoline and the gasoline thing just know no matter how miserable it's been uh, since the war in Ukraine started to fill up a vehicle know that this is not a permanent condition and the price we're paying for fuel as it's done many times over the last 50 years after a spike that gasoline comes back down and many times comes down to lower than it was before the spike. So let's hope for that this time too. And as always, I want to thank you so much for listening to our podcast today. If you enjoyed it, please, or even if you didn't, please take a minute to review the podcast. It really helps us out to see how we can serve you better. And Krista, You really love these reviews.
0: Well, they're great, and they really help us. So um, we really, truly appreciate it. And Apple Podcasts is the most popular place where you can review a podcast, and actually that's where most people listen to your podcasts. And I just saw several were posted, and this one was posted by a fan that said, love to listen to this podcast, my number one to listen to. I look forward to each day's podcast and hate when Clark's on vacation or holiday, LOL. (laughs) He gives great advice, but he also keeps his listeners up with many other important happenings in our money world. I wish it was longer than 30 minutes. So
1: do you. So (laughs) do you. So the vacation thing. Okay, I'm sorry. I know there are people who work every day of the year. That is not me. Life is about more than work. Life is about family, friends, experiences, and work. And that's how I choose to live my life. So I'm sorry about those weeks that I uh, treat as precious time to go do whatever. And uh, I, I hope that it makes you look forward more to the next time I'm working each time. Have a great day.